that you will eat more about your body that you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor rip. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek out what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch, or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this um, parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. On all of that, uh, it's, there's way too much in that, and actually, m some of those passages probably could deserve multiple sermons. But we're going. I'm being. We're going. I'm speaking today out of Luke 12 because we're starting a new series called Stewardship. What is a steward? What is stewardship? A steward is one 
who takes care of and manages something that belongs to someone else. It's not a word that we use too much anymore. That's really what a steward is. A steward is one who manages something that belongs to someone else. And we're going to talk about this in, you know, over several weeks now, and there's going to be multiple topics. Today what we're talking about is what it means to be a steward of your life. Your life, actually, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, doesn't belong to you. You know that? My life, the thing that you call my life, actually is not a life that, that you own. It's a life that He gave you. It's that your life belongs to Him. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about certain other subjects. We're going to talk, um, of course, you're just going to go, oh, he's probably going to talk about money. Yes, I'm going to talk about I'm going to spend some time on money. Um, but actually, even more precious and much more, um, much more scarce than money is your time. Actually, we're going to talk about time. Next week, we're actually going to talk about time. We'll talk about it over, the, over, over, over a week. And then, we're, then the following week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a steward of time over years. Then we're going to talk, we've spent a few weeks on money. Then we'll also talk about children in the next generation. We'll talk about gifts, work, and the church, and you know, what it means to be how a steward over the mission that God has given us. And hopefully we'll also have a chance to talk about what it means to be a citizen. These are all different aspects of things that God says belongs to Him, but that we are responsible for and, and turning up the fabric of our life. And uh, so today, let me uh, get a message that I've called Stewardship and Lordship. Stewardship and Lordship, because, well, I know we call Jesus our Lord, and well, that's his title. But when you call Jesus your Lord, that means he owns you. You understand? He owns everything about you. He owns your money. He owns your time. He owns your children, your children's children, your gifts your work, your neighborhood. He owns your body. There are many people in, this, in, in our time and age, they object to the fact that Christians, that all these Christians are so um, you know, worked up about sex. Well, it's because Jesus owns our bodies and he has a right to say, you can do this with your body, and they'll do this with your body. So even that, although that's not a, a topic I'm really going to address in this series, but even that is a part of stewardship. Your body is a part of stewardship. But today I want to talk about what it means that your life, that you are a steward of your life, and even your whole life really belongs to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to get at this in three, three points, as I usually do, right? Part one, the worries about me, 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 and my life, right? The worries about my life. Part two, lamps burning for the Lord. What does that mean when Jesus says, have your lamp burning waiting for me? Right? And part three, reclining at the feast. Right? That's what is awaits all those who believe in Jesus, is that he will come serve as we recline at a table in which he comes to serve us. All right, now part one. This passage starts off where Jesus says something that, especially those of you who have you may have already heard this before, but I want you especially, I want to highlight this. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Let me ask you this question. 
Have any of you guys, can you guys go through one day, one day without worry? Just one. One whole day without worry. Our lives are filled with anxiety and worry. Some of you worry about the future. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm a, I'm, I like to tell people that one of my problems, and I, and I found that this is something I can't really stop. Like, I, I wish I could not be this way because I stop it and just not do it. But I'm a person that constantly worries about how the future is going to turn out, especially my future, my wife's future, my kids' future. So I'm a, a future anxiety person. I'm a future control freak. That's the way I tell people, right? Um, I have ideologies about trying to control the future. I'm usually the present. I'm kind of loose about the present, right? Maybe a little too loose sometimes. Um, but some of you maybe worry always about today or what's going on now. Some of you have anxieties about the past. Your, your mind is stuck in the past. Something about the way, maybe the way you were treated by someone that was important to you. Or maybe things that you felt like you made mistakes upon and, you're just, and you're, it still eats away at you. Can you go a whole day, just one day, without being anxious about your life? Just one day? Just think about it. You don't have to shake your head or nod it. Just, can you go one whole day? How about a week? If I had to put bet money on it, I would say 100% of the people in this room, <laughs> none of you, me included, right, can go one week without anxiousness about your life. And why is that? I mean, it's like, you know, come on, Pastor. I mean, but that's what it says here. Come on, Pastor. This is just how we are. We all have some anxiety, some worry, some fear, something. And is it really possible to live your life without being anxious about your life? And Jesus says, just like that. Right? Uh, but that is what he commands. <laughs> and I just want to start off this message. If you have anxiety and worries and fear about your life, Right now, I just want to tell you, already you're failing stewardship. <laughs> right now, you're already failing. You already don't even look at your life the right way. It's, the problem with the way we look at our life is it's, it's my life. It's mine. And my life has to unfurl just right, and everything about it has to be about all these things that Jesus says. It's life is more than what you eat or your body and what you put on and all these things. And he's like saying, but that's it's more than that. Um, I'm a, I have a close high school friend. Um, he actually, are, you know, under the busyness of life, he lives in San, um, well, actually lives in Los Gatos now. Um, but I don't get to see him too much. Um, uh, he, he's close friends with uh, John Hart as well. And when John's father was sick, uh, that was, a, that was a, we had a chance to but he's a close friend of mine, and he, um, he was the best man at my wedding. And he had this phrase that he used to say since we were teenagers. And I don't know if you guys have uh, friends that, uh, followed, that you followed the Lord with since you were in high school. Like he and I would hang out in high school, and we would talk about the Bible. We would talk about Jesus, right? And, but he has this phrase that he used to say, even going all the way right back to like 10th grade. And he, he talked about what he called open hand, closed hand. Open hand, closed hand. Do you hold your life and the things that God gives you for your life, do you hold them with an open hand or do you hold them with a closed hand? You understand what I'm saying? God gives you something good in your life and do you hold it like this 
kind of clenched. And it's just like you can't lose it. It's just got to be yours. And this is this is it. It's mine. You hold it like this, or you hold it like this. Open, held up to him. And what God gives you, maybe he can take away. What God gives you, maybe he'll ask. Give this to me. This comes up in the Bible regularly. Um, very pointedly, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, he's just a little bit important person, okay? We call him the father of faith. In fact, the children didn't call him and have songs about him, Father Abraham. And what was the thing that would make Abraham's life, his whole life, feel like this was a good life? Mine was a good life. It's if he had a son. If his, he had a son, then his life would go on, his name would go on, he'd have an heir, and his life was a good life and it was a successful life. Now, that's a kind of a strange thing, I think, that most of us don't necessarily think of it this way. Um, I think a lot of guys can't necessarily relate to this in the, in the modern world, but a lot of women probably can relate to this. There's a lot of women who feel like, if I don't have a child, right, by exception such age, then I won't have a good life. My life will break and won't be a good life. And any of you ladies ever feel this way? Huh? Well, Abraham felt just like you. <laughs> Isn't that strange to think that way? Huh? That's how he felt. And for most of his life, he didn't have children. He was uh, he, he grew to be an old man, his wife to an old woman, and yet God promised him he had a son. And God miraculously gave him a son, his name was Isaac. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he must be just like, this is it. Like, I'm so happy. God promised this to me. And my life is going to be totally filled and perfect. This is my... It's not just his son. You understand? It's his life. His son is his life. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God said, give me your son. Sacrifice him to me. And that must have been a really long night. The next morning, Abraham woke up early. His answer to the Lord was, open hand. It's yours. You know what the problem with most of us is? Your life is held like this. It's held in close hand. It's got to be mine. It's in, and, and you know, this place we live, it's especially intense. It's a hard place to be that way, you know? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a curse. You know, it's your heart, your mind, your whole, this whole approach to life that we consider so utterly normal, it's cursed. Um, this is a city that we feel like we can drink and get the best of everything, the best of career. I mean, this isn't just a place where you feel like you can just have a nice career. It's like where you can, you can hit it and have, become a millionaire overnight. I mean, that actually can happen in this town. Um, I, won't, I won't say the name of the brother because he'd be embarrassed, but just, just last night, one of the brothers in community group he was sharing uh, when he was visiting his family that his, uh, his parents live in a really large and nice house. They live in a 5,000 square foot house. And, um, and so we, we were laughing about this, you know, the brothers, and we asked him, hey, so what, what do you think that house is worth? And he said, about $500,000, right? And then we really started laughing because... That's where houses start in our city, right? I mean, like, you can't even dream of owning a $5,000 house for 500, I mean, $5,000 square foot house for $500,000. And yet, that's part of the grip 
My life, my life has to turn out well, and it's all part of the closed hand. And the worries and anxieties about my life. And yet, this is what he says, to consider the lilies. You know, while I was thinking about this text, um, have any of you had a, uh, you know, it's a, the, if it was considered the lilies of the field, um, today, you know, you, you, I'm sure most of you have never seen a lily in the field. I have never seen a lily in the field. I've only seen a lily at the store. <laughs> okay. uh, we have to go to the lily at the store, um, but um, not long ago, do you remember this, Grace? Uh, a few months ago, we actually had a lily. Uh, I bought a lily because I wanted to buy a, a flower for my wife. And that's what they were selling at the stores. And I thought, um, and I took a look at this flower. And have you guys ever looked at a lily? A lily? Um, it, it wasn't quite open yet. It was so close. And then I bought this thing, and then it, it, it opened up in this glorious way. And, you know, it really smells super nice. And so as I was looking at this passage, it says, Consider the lily, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory... Solomon was the richest, filthy rich. He had he little hallways of gold. In all his glory, was not arrayed like a lily. Now just think about that. Um, when this flower opened up, I actually started having an allergic reaction, and I was like, wow. I started like, wow. I was like, Chris, we gotta get rid of this thing, right? And, um, and so, you know, the pollens come out and stuff like that, you know, like, I got rid of it. But you know what? It actually made me sad to get rid of it because it's so beautiful. It was just astonishingly beautiful. And I liked looking at that thing on my, uh, on our dining table, and I liked giving such something so beautiful to my wife. Right? Um, it's far more beautiful than whatever fancy clothes or something I can give her. And yet, um, this is what God says. And yet, your Father in Heaven, doesn't He know? Now look, something like what I'm telling you now, I know it's incredibly basic. But if you live your life like this, where your life is held like this, you are not thinking where there is a Father who clothes you and loves you better than the movies on the field. You understand? Huh? I mean, ladies, when our house was opened up, um, that are, you, you, you're probably jealous that you can't smell as nice as that flower. <laughs> In fact, that's why you put the stuff on, you know, to, to make yourself smell almost as nice as that flower. Guys, you should feel jealous if you can't smell as nice as that flower. Right? And that's what the scriptures teach. Now look, um, I, I, I thought about this passage also from the father's side of it. I'm a dad. And um, this, uh, this past week, my son um, brought home this little catalog from school. And a number of you guys know he goes to a private Christian school called the King's Academy. And lately, they, had, they, did, they passed out all the, he's in the eighth grade, and they passed out these catalogs because he has to do a fundraiser. So you guys know what this is like. You guys ever do this when you were a kid? When I was a kid, I, I sold uh, chocolates. That was terrible. That it was like a dollar bar, and it's like a fundraiser for the school. But my son has to do this because in eighth grade in the spring, the school has this tradition of taking this East Coast trip, and all the eighth grade kids go out to the East Coast and they go to Washington D.C. and they learn about Lincoln and Washington and the history of the country. I mean, it's it's it's, it's wonderful, great trip. 
But guess what? It, it costs bucks, right? And so, and Hudson, because he's read that letter, he knows what it costs, and he knows this is ooh, it's pricey. So he can feel that wow, I have to go out and go do this thing. And let me tell you, he doesn't want it, <laughs> okay? But through most of his life, he doesn't have to know the number of what things cost. His life is just just. Does he have to worry about uh, the rent? Does he? He doesn't know what the electric bill costs, and yet he just flip on the computer. He just plugs in his uh, his his little Kindle device. He, he doesn't worry about any of that stuff. He just surfs on the internet. He watches our TV. He has no idea what those things cost. It's just so easy for him. Right? And yet now in this fundraiser, it's like there it is. This number is right before his eyes. Actually, uh. So Grace, she convinced, she convinced our daughter Laura to go help Hudson out, right? She didn't particularly want to do it, but um, she said, do you want help next year? Because you're going to go on this trip next year too. And so, so if you don't help your brother, he won't help you. Right? And then so she said, oh, okay. Well, just so thinking about that, she realized, wow, that's okay. I, I better help. And... And so my son went out there yesterday, and in his first go-around, he went to 12 houses, and four people weren't home. And out of the eight people that actually answered their door, seven said no. <laughs> One person said yes and bought something. Doesn't that stink? <laughs> right? And that's, but, you know, when we go throughout our life, we probably feel more like him going door to door. Instead of being like him, when he flips off the computer. Most of his life, it's so easy. <laughs> Give you another thing about um, recently, my son needed new shoes. And so uh, they went to the store. My wife, I don't usually go shoe shopping, I just told you that stuff. Okay, but my wife took him to the store. He, uh, he, he looked at the different shoes and he Pick this one particular shoe they liked. It was a, they were a pair of Nikes. And they cost $70. Okay? And that's a bit high for our family's budget. And you should do not buy our children $70 shoes. I don't, I don't really know how your family does that. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make any criticism one way or another. But in our family's budget, that's, that's on, the, on the high side for, um, for sneakers. And so my wife called me. I wasn't even in town. She called me to consult on this decision. And I said, look, as his father, I consider it's my responsibility to get him a good pair of shoes in about 50 to 55, $55. And we'll throw the tax in there, right? right? $55, that's a reasonable amount of money. And I can find a really good pair of shoes for that amount of money. So if he wants the seventy dollars, he's got money. I was like, tell him to pay the extra fifteen, <laughs> and he can get those shoes because he really wants them. But he can pay the extra fifteen. You know what he did? He he got the shoes, right? And let me just say something. Um, was it about fifteen dollars? Is it because I can't afford fifteen dollars that I didn't want to get him those shoes? Really, the $15 is nothing to me. What is it that I'm giving him? You know, I'm giving, you know, my wife and I were getting him shoes. 
But you also realize we're giving him something more than shoes. Um, is the shoes really the best thing that we give, that Grace and I give our son? You know, when we think about our life, I need to get this, and if I get this, then my life, my life will be... I mean, that's how we think. If I get this, then my life will be good. You know that if, uh, if I made my son get like a $45 pair of shoes, I bet you he would have been angry. <laughs> his, his face would have gotten downturn, and he would have been an unhappy camper, right? And his life would have been, would have been bad for at least a couple hours, right? But really, is, is shoe, are shoes the most important thing we give him? Don't we give him something a lot more? Don't we give him our heart? You know why I withheld that $15? Because I wanted to give him the gift of stewardship. I'm teaching him. Choose. You choose. You have money. You make decisions. You decide what's important. For you to sacrifice some of your treasure, you choose. And I'm giving him. He might not have liked you by saying, oh, my dad, right? Actually, um, but at the same time, I'm giving him something. And he's going to learn something. I hope he learns it. Right? And doesn't want he have something more? What the passage says is that your father will give you all that you need. Is that what Jesus promised? Your father will give you what you need. But somehow, the things that we want fall into the... We have this category in our mind called need, and they include $70... I don't know, maybe some of you guys have a little more expensive taste, $130 <laughs> a pair of Nikes. But you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not even just talking about Nikes. Talking about things like houses and cars and private school and college. We're talking about my vacation and my lifestyle and my TV and my couch. These are the things we're talking about, right? And they tend to fall into this category called the needs, but really, our Father, really, when you look at, do you look at your life, close hand, i got to get out there, i got to do all the selling, and then my life will be good. Whereas really, actually, when you look at Hudson's life, before, mostly his life is really what his father and his mother will give him. Isn't that his life? Hmm. Look, your life is actually Jesus' life. Your life is a life that Jesus gives you. That's really what it is. And in that, the Father will give you all that you need. And sometimes, your hand will be all clenched up. And you'll have to like, <laughs> he's like trying to pry your fingers apart. To let, help you to let go. So sometimes, even as he takes away, he gives you more than what you bought. He gives you himself. So your life, this is what it means that Jesus Lord who owns you. And it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing we live in this time. I mean, we, we believe in democracy, so there's no king. <laughs> and so we definitely think, my life is my own. We live in capitalism, and constantly you're told by commercial after commercial, advertising after, you, you get to choose, you get to make your life. But actually, 
you know, people who've lived under a king, they know actually the king has a right to come and examine your life, to call upon you, to call your sons, to call your daughters, to serve him, to call you to sacrifice for him, your life, but it's actually his life that you give to you. And this isn't a bad thing, it's actually the most blessed thing. And you can let his life, when you realize this life, you get, you get to have this life as a stewardship, which is his life, then you're the most free. Now let me go to part two. It says here, in verse 35, Jesus says, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. What the heck is he talking about? <laughs> what does it mean? All right, let's drop this off. Give me one second. There you go. <laughs> Too excited here. What does it mean for us to keep our lamps burning? And this is a picture I want to leave with you here today of stewardship. To keep your lamp burning is a very picture of stewardship itself. This is, a, this is a picture that Jesus gives. Life is like darkness. And really the point he's making is a very fundamental and basic one, which I know if any of you grew up in church, you already know this. At least you know this in your head. But if you live in this time, in this place, in this city, I bet you, you, do, you forget this all the time. It's not in your mind. It's not in your heart. It's not, in your, it's not, it's not really on your, on your uh, agenda. So to keep your lamp burning. And the point is that Jesus will return. He will return, and he has every right, and he will call you to account for your life. He'll say, spread your life out before me. Let me see. What have you done? With my life, which I gave to you, which you got to steward, what have you done? And he's going to ask you, are you expecting and waiting for him to come back? He says, this passage says that the, the master can return at any point, maybe the second watch or the third watch. I mean, I, mean, I, I was never in the Navy. I mean, Ron, maybe you can tell us about this, about what's the second watch or the third watch. And I don't even know if it's exactly you know, a one-for-one one, like the way the Navy thinks of it. But you get, the, you get the basic idea. I think roughly in the ancient times, the second watch of the night was something like midnight to 3 a.m. Right? And the third watch was something like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. You know, before the... And so he's saying, and you don't know that the master might return in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. What if he came up at 3 a.m.? Then most of you, like you, when you go to sleep, you don't think, Hey, I'm going to have to get up right away at 3 a.m. and be ready. Do you think that way? Listen, you're like, I'm just going to sleep and just whatever. What he's saying is that it's a picture of a lamp. And a lamp back then, I mean, today it's so easy for us. Uh, if you have somebody who's a, a loved one, say, you know, uh, maybe some of you experienced when you were young, or maybe if you have children. Um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, and I would go out, or I would be out at night, and if I would come home late, I'd call my mom, I'm going to be home late. You know what? That light would be on. <laughs> you know what that's the signal? I expect you. I'm waiting for you. I'm looking for you. That's what that is. And today it's so easy for us. If you are thinking about somebody, all you got to do is you just got to flip the switch. But back then, 
They didn't have a switch. You know what you had to do? You had to prepare something. You had to take a lamp. You had to fill it with oil. That oil would cost a certain amount of money. You'd have to measure out the right amount. You'd have to prepare a wick, put it in that, and you'd have to light it. And Jesus is saying, you should do this every night. And you should have this light on, because I might come back. I'm coming, and I will call account to your life. That picture of the lamp, that is the picture of stewardship itself. Do you live your life with the expectation? Now, there's two ways that I think Jesus, that we should always think about, that Jesus is going to return and then call us to account. Number one is, well, he's literally going to return. The Bible says he can return any day. And that the Bible conditions us to expect it to be imminent. I know that's not how we think. It's been, well, it's been 2,000 years, and, and uh, he hasn't come back yet, so maybe it won't be for another 500 or 1,000 years, so, you know, I'll get to the 100. I know that most of us, that's how we think. That's often probably six out of seven days a week. You're a pastor who studies the Bible very carefully. Well, that's how my heart works, right? But actually... That's unfaithful. He's like, he, his point is, he can return. And the other way that you may have to call account is, well, you may not live till you're 100. I know many of you, if you're in good health, you're going to live your I get to live to 80 or 90 or 100. Some of you have maybe had a loved one who passed away before they should have. That's hard. You don't know. That may be your story. In my late 20s, I, don't, I almost wasn't here. <laughs> I went to a hospital, and I almost did not come out of that hospital. That could have happened. I think about that sometimes when I look at my children. Say, you might not have been around, right? And was I having my lamp lit, called to account for my life? You think about your life this way. Your life. I'll share with you something um, before I go to the third and final portion of my message. When my wife and I, we, when we lived in Philadelphia, um, we, we sent our, our, our children. This is uh, just at that time, Elizabeth wasn't, um, wasn't uh, born, or she was, well, she was actually a baby at this time. And uh, we, we sent our, our children to our churches. Our churches are like a, a mostly Caucasian and, and some African Americans, um, and you know, maybe like a handful of Asians, and, of which we were one of them, right? And uh, our church, we sent our children to this preschool, and we, we became close to some of the people in this preschool. Um, my, my son's best friend was, uh, uh, was an African-American boy, and we're still friends with his parents to this day, right? Um, but we met this one other couple, and um, they were Korean, Korean-American. And, um, you know, you're Asian, you walk in, and the whole school is full of Caucasians and, and, um, and African-Americans. And then you meet one other couple who's Asian, they come up to you and this, and this couple came and said, are you Korean? And we said, uh, oh. And it turns out that they, they, uh, that they love the Lord. And um, that was our day that we had them over for lunch. And uh, they saw us with our, with Elizabeth, who was a little baby at the time, and then they said, hey, hey, just, just be really honest with us. Uh, what's it like having number three? They had two boys. And is it really doable? <laughs> and they were nervous about having a third child. And they said, well, honestly, number two is really hard, but 
it's actually been really not that hard having our third child. It's been great. So you guys should do it. That's what I said, right? And they were like, whoa, okay, right? And, um, and you know what? The next year, they had another baby, right? They, they had their third child. But also, in the middle of her pregnancy, um, the, the, the husband's name is Yomin, in the, in the middle of his wife's pregnancy, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And he had to undergo an operation where they took out something like 90% of his stomach. And for a while there, he looked like he was pretty good. I mean, I remember seeing him, and of course he got super skinny. Because, I mean, he only had 10% of your stomach. But then not long after that, the cancer came back, and it was more virulent than ever. And that was a very sobering time. We prayed for that, that family, and it broke our hearts. That here was this man, and he was about to enjoy having his third child. And as he went through chemo and radiation and his body deteriorated, you know what he, he, he thought of all the time? The Lord. And he prayed for his children. And he wrote letters to his children. Because right? he knew that he wouldn't be there for that. And it was, it was really painful. We, we weren't super close to them, but just to watch that. And they were a couple very similar to us. And that... That brother, he might have been, I think he was just a year older than me. And at that time, I was about 36 years old. And I was looking at him thinking, this could be me. He's not unlike me. And that could be you. I have a grandfather who's 97. But I had a friend who, was, who died when he was 37. That could be you. Will your lamp be burning? <laughs> Will you prepare your life for eternity to come? You know, we, we go through our life, you know, with this closed hand. Everything's got to be worked, worked out. And we think, if this doesn't work out, then my life will, you know, it won't work out. It'll be ill suffer. Let me give you a quote. I'm from, you know, just this little person. Maybe you've heard of him that I, I like to refer, reference every now and then. His name is C.S. Lewis. Right? And this quote is from The Great Divorce. And the Great Divorce is one of the books that Lewis wrote, and it's actually uh, it's, a, it's a fiction story where people who are living in hell get on a bus and they take a tour trip up to heaven. That's, that's what the, that's what the um, trip is about. And the, the, the tour person says to someone, says this. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, something that doesn't seem to work out, this suffering of this life. They say of this temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this. Because they don't know heaven. They don't know that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even the agony or whatever hurts and falls apart in this life and turn it into glory. That's what we said. And we fear this life, and, and just life just has to be, just we hold it with this, this, this closed hand. Everything's just got to work out. 
Because we just feel like if it just doesn't, then, then oh, my life will just it'll be over or it will be bad. But actually, if you're in Christ, it's just not true. It's not true. And when we get to the, the final portion of my message, this is what Jesus says. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, and listen to this. This is the promise. It's an extraordinary and, and even a shocking promise. He, of course he's talking about himself, will dress himself for service. Jesus will dress himself like a servant. And have them, his servants, recline at the table... And he says, I will come, and I will serve you. Now look, your life is not 100 years or 80 years. You know, even if your life is only 30-something years, it's not even, that's not true. Your life is his life, and it spans right out into eternity. And whatever tanglements or hardships or anxieties or fears or hurts, or disappointments that you have in this life, they're small. And the consolation of the way that He will feed you and He will serve you, that's your life. Now look, I'm going to close this. That Jesus will feed you and He will bring you in as, because He has made you a son and daughter of God, that's by grace. You can never earn it. That's why he came. All our anxieties, all our anxiousness, all our fears, all the control freak ways that we try to control our life, he came so that all these idolatries can be given to him. He says, give it to me. And I'll wash it away on the cross. And you can, this can never be taken away from you. But you understand, so the measure of reward that you can have with Jesus, and the here and the there, that is not holy by grace. I want you to understand this. That for those who put their lamps out, there is a greater reward. There's a deeper reward. And you know what that reward is? It's God, His heart, His closeness to Him Himself. Look, I have three kids. And and uh, I can all try to teach them this lesson about stewardship. And I don't know if they'll all get it. Like maybe one, maybe two of them get it, one of them don't get it. I can actually almost, if I were to make a prediction of the one that won't get it, and I won't tell you which one that is, right? <laughs> um, but does that mean that that child will not always have my light on waiting for them? Does that mean that they will not always have a place at my dinner table? will not always be giving my kiss, my heart. And yet, the child who does get it, see, my son, he did buy those shoes, but if he understood the $15, he didn't get. But if he understood that piece of stewardship, he would understand that he got something else. He got something in his father's wisdom. He got something in his father's heart. He got a deeper reward. And that is not by grace. It takes grace to give it to you. 
but it also takes an obedience and a trust. Right? And that's what this message is kicking off. You want your life to be His life, which He gives you. He gave you, and He, he gave you a life which you can never earn. This person, like He's going to feed you. You can't earn this. And what He longs to give you in this life is so stupendous. All this week, we've been looking at passages throughout Ephesians and our quiet times. The one that rings into my mind is immeasurable riches of His grace. And this message today is to invite you towards stewardship. Because stewardship is an invitation to come. To come and learn the fullness of the Father's heart. And all of His heart will listen to you. Which Jesus won for you. So Jesus paid. So he can give you all this and more. And so as you come to the table today, I want you to think that we will be invited to a table one day where he will come to serve us. And it isn't my life, but his life. His life. So you hold with open hand that his life will be poured into us. Where the Father gives us the Son with all that is from his heart. Let's pray. Lord, um, I'm probably not like my son, Hudson. And uh, my heart's are tangled with it. $70 and we do hold our lives with closed hand. But, uh, I pray now. We would say today, not my life, I want full life, Jesus. And just like you, Lord Jesus, you came to this earth to obey and to have all that the Father would give you, even a cup sometimes of honey. You did it so that we would have the full cup. Father's love. So as we go to you, would you give us your heart to obey and take our whole life and just as you did, Lord Jesus, we would say, we want your life. We want it to be your life. We want you to be Lord and you to be seen and radiate from our life. As we go to your table, we pray that that would be our heart.